Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 103.9 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, where we are set to respond to another question, where we are set to embark upon another special topic on this special topic Thursday. But before we get into that, I did just want to continue to thank all of you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join me here in the friendly confines of Chico, California, Northern California. Uh, And especially for those of you who are tuning in, just not here in Butte County, in the state of California, but outside the state of California and outside the country by way of iTunes podcast. If you are tuning in in the countries of Mexico, Canada, uh, Brazil, Chile, Argentina, uh, Portugal, Spain, France, Italy, Croatia. I see even a few listeners in India and China, some listeners in Africa. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I do my best to respond to your questions. And for this week, this Thursday, we are going to take up a very important topic, and that is the topic of life and abortion. Certainly with a slew of new pro-life common sense laws, this has been on the forefront of political conversation. Now, in the past, we have talked about this issue in the form of a top 10 reasons not to choose an abortion through the prism of faith and reason. For this evening, we are going to offer up a top nine non-faith reasons not to have an abortion. In other words, We are going to claim science and reason as our exclusive guides to why abortion is wrong, Uh, right? Not that we shouldn't include faith, but what is important for us to remember, my friends, is that when we engage our brothers and sisters in Christ who are not of the faith, it really is important to meet them where they are at. And if they're going to place an emphasis on science, use science to bring them to faith, okay? Now, as we do this, as I was doing my homework, I did come across an article that had been written by a gal by the name of Cynthia Isabel. She was a former pro-choice nurse. And as both a nurse and a nurse who worked at an abortion clinic, I think uh, she can help us here in responding to some of these questions. Now, that being said, before we jump into this reflection, I think it is important to note that I know a number of women who have had abortions, as I think we all have, and have since claimed their faith in Jesus Christ and the church. And I'll tell you, my friends, they are the ones who have shared with me that they would have benefited from someone claiming the truth on abortion. Now, that is not to say when someone tells you they are going to have an abortion, you blast them with all these facts we are about to engage in. If we have claimed anything on this program that is the wider program, Seeds of Truth, it is the passage from 1 Peter 3.15, that when we give reasons for the hope that is inside of us, we do it with gentleness, 
reverence. For these, brothers and sisters in Christ, are the virtues that help build the bridge upon which truth shall pass. All right? That's what Peter says. That's Peter's claim. When you give reasons for the hope that is inside of you, you always do it with the virtues of gentleness and reverence. And let us understand that those virtues are really twins insofar as we understand those are the necessary virtues that allow the conversation to be had. Okay? We always have to remember that when we engage in those apologetic conversations, we enter into the art of listening, the art of giving someone the experience of being listened to. Huh? What does the great proverb say? We listen more so as to speak better. Never make the mistake of thinking you have all the answers before you have heard the person actually speak, in particular to our conversations with abortion. Often what you're dealing with there is someone who has had an abortion. And in that case, my dear friends, what we have to understand is that each and every conversation is always going to be very different because each and every one's experience, encounter with this topic is going to be very different because each and every one of us have a past that is original to everyone else's past. Huh? No one story is the same, my friends. And I belabor this point because what I want us to see is that for everything we're going to talk about this evening, we can never make the assumption that we have all the answers or we have it all figured out just because we know how to reason through a situation or a conversation. The first principle of apologetics is what? Listen. All right. With that, our first reason. And my dear friends, our first reason is science itself. That's right, science. The big question that often lies at the heart of the debate of abortion is when does life begin? Certainly that's what was behind uh, Roe v. Wade. Well, if we're going to engage the science, we have to remember that within 24 hours of conception, the zygote is dividing rapidly into many cells which will differentiate to different parts of the human body. And here is Cynthia Isabel notes, and, and remember we, we noted we're going to talk about her a little bit. She says, dead cells do not replicate their DNA and multiply into more cells. They do not differentiate to become a brain, a heart, the liver, the skin, muscle, and bone. Life begins at conception when the fertilized egg begins to grow. So ultimately, my friends, what we're made to see there is that at the very beginning of conception, right, within 24 hours of conception, the zygote is beginning to divide rapidly into many cells. And as Cynthia Isabel notes, dead cells don't do this. Something is living. You know, any cardiologist would tell you that the heart begins to, to beat at 21 days. And the thing that has always struck me about this is that no woman knows that she is pregnant at that point. So by the time any woman finds out that she is pregnant, the heart is beating. Hmm? The heart is beating. And if, 
the zygote that is dividing rapidly into many cells, juxtaposed against what a dead cell doesn't do, isn't enough for you, then the beating heart should be. And what are we seeing today but all of these new laws that are tied to the beating heart? There's a reason why. Because the heart beats. The heart beats. Okay, second reason, which is really based on the first, is that a fetus is a human being. Right? So when the egg and the sperm join, this is the beginning of a new human. With its one set of DNA makeup, right? Isabel discusses this point. Uh, What does that mean? Well, this would be a hair color, eye color, skin tone, fingerprints, and I think we could also say a multitude of other individual characteristics. My dear friends, the newborn baby in the womb is not only different than you and me, but his or her uh, own parents. Now, my friends, if this was a top 10 reasons to, to not abort a baby that included reason of faith, I would talk about the significance of this for the remainder of our time together. But it's not, so we will leave it at that. It'd be enough to say, scientifically speaking, a fetus is a person. And oh, by the way, the word fetus literally translates from the Latin uh, birth, offspring, conception, life, okay? It's just not a blob of tissue. That's irrational and very political. Now, this all leads to our third reason why abortion should be outlawed, and quite honestly, the most important reason. Abortion, based upon what we have just said, is an act of murder. So many, I think, people want to shy away from stating this truth which is mind-numbing because in conventional wisdom, everyone is appalled by the murder. But I do believe this is one of the reasons why abortion has gotten so far. We have stopped calling it and identifying it for what it is. Uh, female activist Antonia uh, Senor wrote in the Times in her article titled, Yes, Abortion is Killing, But It's the Lesser Evil. And pay attention to what she says here, my friends, because I think this is alarming. This is Antonia Senor. What seems increasingly clear to me is that in the absence of an objective definition, a fetus is a life by any subjective measure. And the other conclusion is a convenient lie that we on the pro-choice side of the debate tell ourselves to make us feel better about the action of taking a life. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) This is a female activist, right? Listen to what she goes on to say. She argues that the killing involved with abortion is the lesser evil compared to the greater one of not allowing a woman's sovereign autonomy over her reproductive rights. My dear friends, even the leaders of the feminist movement, recognize it to be life. Think about that. But are are willing to choose reproductive rights over murder. That, my friends, is staggering. Staggering. I would even push on this point a little bit. In our political arguments, when we want to put issues, important issues, uh, side by side with abortion, Replace the word abortion with murder and see what that sounds like. 
There is nothing clean about it. In point of fact, I think it reveals the irrational nature of such an argument. What do I mean? Well, pick your political topic. You know, immigration is a very important topic. Good foreign policy can shape the future well-being of a nation. Sensible health care is another chief point of discussion. <laughs> but we talk about immigration, foreign policy, and health care as standards because life itself is the first standard. You see, we have to stop allowing the tail to wag the dog, so to speak. I know, I know I'm getting excited right now, but my dear friends, Modernism is no longer defined by the absence of faith, but I think the absence of faith and reason, if we can't see this for what it is. Okay. Fourth, and once again a reason that is tied to the preceding reasons, which is to say I think our reflections really are organic in their reasoning. The fourth reason is that women actually should take responsibility for their bodies. That's the whole idea. Being responsible with your bodies and reproductive system is good and intelligent. But really, what lies at the heart of this point is the question of freedom. If freedom degenerates into a license to do whatever you want to do, brothers and sisters, you actually have less freedom. And you can apply this not only to abortion, but any topic, really. We are only free to the degree that we exercise restraint and discipline. Huh? If you want to become the better version of whatever it is that you do, if you're a piano player, if you're a baseball player, you're only going to be more free to do what you do if you show restraint and discipline in fine-tuning the craft of what you do. I know it's uh, in the news, at least locally. We had some local kids drafted in the most recent MLB draft. If they're going to be more free to be a better pitcher, ball player, hitter, they're going to have to work on their craft. And part of working on their craft means making sacrifices, showing restraint, showing discipline. You just don't go to the plate and swing a bat and think that you're going to hit the ball every time. No, you have to learn how to swing a bat. You have to learn the craft of hitting a baseball. Only then will you be free to be the best baseball player you can be. Talk to any professional baseball player. And again, you can apply this to any matter. Applying this to who we are in a relationship with God, we have to say no to the lesser thing to say yes to the greater thing. And sometimes saying no, if not all the time, means sacrifice. Okay? All right. Our fifth non-religious reason to not have an abortion is that abortion is uh, never a consequence-free act. Here, Isabel and many other former pro-choice nurses and doctors, for that matter, really do argue the point that abortion is a very traumatic thing for any woman, uh, especially when you start talking about what women are doing to their bodies. I've known many women who have struggled with abortion, some of which have, again, encouraged me to go on air and talk about abortion more often because they know the damage it causes. There is an apostolate, by the way, in the Catholic Church called Rachel's Vineyard. As their website underscores on the front matter of their website, Rachel's Vineyard 
is a very safe place to renew, rebuild, and really redeem your heart if you are one who has had an abortion. And, and I talk about this, my friends, because in this fifth point, as we talk about it being a non-consequence-free act, we need healing. We need healing. And Rachel's Vineyard is therapy for the soul. Participants who have been trapped in, in anger toward themselves or others have on more than one occasion talked about experiencing forgiveness, experiencing a new peace. You know, their lives are restored. They have a new sense of hope and meaning for the future. So as we go through this reflection this evening, I, I do want to drop uh, that, that Rachel's Vineyard is an apostolate of the Catholic Church, and you don't have to be Catholic per se to go on a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Uh, it, it's an apostolate that offers reconciliation and healing, and I really do encourage you to, to check that out. Now, if this trauma is tied to rape or sexual assault, I know this is a big point of discussion. We still must recognize that the children conceived through sexual assault also have a voice which deserves to be heard. And here I want to go to a Julie McKima, because Julie McKima uh, was conceived by an act of rape. And she today works diligently against the perception that abortion is acceptable or even necessary in cases of sexual assault, as she herself is a living witness to what can come from this. And certainly, while sympathetic to the suffering her mother endured at the hands of her attacker, Julie is also rightfully proud of her mother's courage and generosity, you know, regarding her own view of her origin. And I love this. Julie says, it doesn't matter how I began. What matters is who I will become. So generally, my friends, I, I do think it's important that as we talk about this, we do exercise that virtue of compassion, praying for an increase in the virtue of compassion. Okay, six. Now, this is uh, a response to the question, what about abortion in cases to save the mother's life? Well, <laughs> technically, abortion is never needed to save a, a mother's life. And I think here... Cynthia Isabel has some important words for us. You know, often the person asking the question, what about abortion in cases to save the mother's life? It's noted that there are statistics reported that less than 1% of abortions are performed to save the life or reduce health risks of, of the mother. What's interesting, and again, this is something that Cynthia notes, these statistics are unreliable because it includes ectopic pregnancies, which would not survive regardless because of where the, the placenta is implanted. The definition of an abortion, my friends, is the termination of a human pregnancy to cause the death of a fetus, which is another reason why the removal of an ectoptic pregnancy cannot be considered the same as an abortion. It is not performed for the sole purpose of ending the life of the fetus. So this statistic, my friends, also includes abortions done for the mother's mental health because she allegedly cannot handle the stress of a baby born with, say, some genetic uh, abnormality, okay? 
And again, here, Cynthia Isabel uh, cites the Association of Pro-Life Physicians, who themselves note, an abortion is never needed to save the life of a mother. And so in the end, my friends, our sixth point is that uh, this argument that it saves the life of the mother really shouldn't go very far because it's an untruth. My friends, I think there is a tendency to get so caught up in supposed truths that we fail to look at what, is, uh, what something is versus what something is not. And I think this is one of those moments. All right, seventh is that the baby has scientifically been proven to suffer unimaginable pain. And how important is this point? You know, we turn away when we see others writhing in pain because we can't stand to see others suffer. Maybe some of us have been unaware of the pain the little one goes through. Well, you aren't anymore. And again, this is a, another invaluable point to legislation. We have the heartbeat bill and then these bills that are passing because scientifically we now know that the fetus experiences pain, the, the baby experiences pain. So this truth that is scientifically proven that the baby suffers is why laws are gaining the long-time-awaited momentum they are gaining in political circles. All right, eighth, we are in danger of aborting ourselves <laughs> into oblivion. You know, for the fourth consecutive year, the U.S. has fell below replacement level, which is to say, for all of the population control talk, more people are dying than being born. And hopefully, that concern speaks for itself. And again, if this was a matter of faith, <laughs> you could talk about this a great deal. But my friends, even sociologically and economically, that is not good. So, a statistic to be aware of. Ninth and last is something that hits close to home a little bit, and this is the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004. So this is a public law of the United States, which, my dear friends, if, you're, if you are unaware, explicitly recognizes an embryo or fetus in utero as a legal victim. So if they are injured or killed during the commission of any of over 60 listed federal crimes of violence, they are a part of that crime, which is to say, <laughs> just not one, but two victims. Incidentally, my friends, it is striking that the law itself defines child in utero as here, quote, a member of the species Homo sapiens at any stage of development who was carried in the womb, unquote. Did you hear that? The law defines child in utero as a member of the species Homo sapiens at any stage of development who was carried in the womb. Unbelievable. Incredible. This law was codified, I believe it was 2004. And now there are, of course, provisions to this law as it relates to abortion. <laughs> but here again, we have a great contradiction in terms. Because the definition of all unborn babies as members of the species Homo sapiens at any stage of development who was carried in the womb... In the law says, in effect, 
what proposed personhood laws say in the case of Roe v. Wade. It's staggering. We can't apply the logic in that and see the irrational nature of it. Now, many of us are familiar with this law because it is also called the uh, Lacey and Connors law after the California mother Lacey Peterson and fetus Connor Peterson, whose deaths were widely publicized during the later stages of the congressional debate on the bill in 2003 and 2004. I say this, this, hits, uh, this bill hits close to home uh, because I graduated with Lacey Peterson uh, in 1993 from Thomas Downey High School. And uh, certainly I was following this story quite closely. So this was a very uh, traumatic time. And I bring this to light because, my friends, what happened to Lacey Peterson, right, who was tragically murdered, and her son, Connor, who was also tragically murdered, highlights that the baby in the womb is alive. I can't remember exactly how old Connor was, maybe six or seven months. But anyhow... It is enough to say, my friends, that we need to be attentive to life in the womb and what happened in the narrative in those days of 2003 and 2004 put a spotlight on the importance of life. And hopefully our nine non-religious reasons (laughs) might encourage you uh, to think more critically about the significance of what we are talking about here as it relates to abortion. It is the most important issue, quite frankly, because you're talking about life itself. And so please, please, my friends, be present to this. And if you have any questions, comments, observations to anything that I have said, and you would like to talk to me, please reach out to me, J-H-O-L-L-J-M-J at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joholcraft.org. Just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. Amen? Amen. All right. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.